This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 477, for October 7th, 2015. We're sponsored this week by Red Hat. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm your host, the senior contributor to Macworld, Glenn Fleischman. And uh, as always, well, not as always, as often, I'm joined by Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Hi, Glenn. How are you? Good. Welcome back from your vacation. Thanks. It's my first day back. I'm like, what time is it? Where am I? My foot hurts. What's going on? Oh, my clothes smell weird. Why am I covered in sand and sunscreen? How does job work again? What is job? How does job work? Yeah, I sat down at my computer and I'm like, wait, what do I do first? I'm not even sure. I'm just smashing keys. Do I dare open my email? Do I look at my to-do list? Do I talk to my employees? Like, uh, I was like, I'll just sit here and drink my coffee and... Hope that no one noticed. I had to like my whole desk was covered in packages because I'm <laughs> working on a gift guide of like tech toys for children. So I've been calling in fun products. So I have a bunch of toys to try. So don't feel bad for me. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Like I'm gonna make it. It's gonna be okay. Well, amazingly, uh, Apple did not introduce like 73 new products while you're gone. They just released a bunch of stuff. It's just stuff was, you know, yeah, my El Capitan came out. It's not a big yeah. deal. Jason Snell is my hero. Um, the day we're recording this is actually his birthday, and he reviewed Happy both birthday. the iPhone um, 6S and the El Capitan for us. I know, over the space of a really few big. days, did yeah. like a, a preview, and then a review, and then El Capitan, mm-hmm. and uh, it was great. And then there's a whole spate of El Capitan stories that uh, y'all can read at Macworld.com that came out last week, too. It seems pretty uh, good. The only thing that I've seen so far is... Uh, we're going to talk about El Capitan stuff was um, the Microsoft issue that Office 2016 uh, crashes. Oh, yeah. And there's no fix. <laughs> People are like, oh, I can't use Outlook. And I'm like, yeah, you know. <laughs> it's uh, kind of a problem. You'd think, now, didn't Microsoft, now, aren't they in the developer program? Didn't they have, or were they spending too much time on iPad Pro development? To, well, they uh, had a big event today and released like a million things. So maybe it's just like, you know, this is a crazy time of year and it's yeah but these are massive companies they should be able to do like 12 things at once seems a little embarrassing that i mean because el capitan i think since about preview two or maybe three it's been very stable i don't think a lot of stuff changed in it uh so it's a little weird but you know a lot of the uh this year i don't feel like we had doom and gloom this year i feel like el capitan shift shipped i didn't hear people uh saying it bricked my computer there are definitely some people were finding that they would their machine would reboot to finish the installation and not complete i heard a little bit of that so uh but and a couple people have had like complete bricks but not like thousands as in some previous releases (laughs) that's good (laughs) you know the long testing period a lot of people shifted effortlessly from el capitan oh i have a great tip that i uh, discovered from a mutual friend um because if you're enrolled in the uh beta program the public beta program you uh, got this issue, which is that it's already saying, hey, El Capitan uh, 10.11.1 yes. is available. You're like, I kind of no, want no, no. out. I want to go back to just the regulars. Here's what you do. I got a, I got the tip for you. Here's what you do. Okay. You go to App Store Preference Pane, which I even forget exists. Did you remember? There's there an App Store a, Preference Pane? Is it what new? What else is in there? <laughs> I don't think it's new. I don't think it's new, but I don't think I've had a look at it in – I don't – I've never looked at it. I'm just going to be honest. I've never looked Wait, at it. What is it? I'm not seeing it. Never looked at it. So if you, uh, in app, it's App Store. It's in a weird row even. It's in the fourth row, Uses and Groups, Parental Controls, App Store. What? It's there. And system Preferences. User 
Okay. Oh, and system preferences. System like, preferences. Oh, sorry. yeah, yeah. I was looking for like app store preferences. No, this is what's mm-hmm. weird. So it's not in it's ah, not in the app store. See, here, okay. Right. No, I so, don't know if I noticed that this was here. If you're enrolled in the beta program, you will see a special thing there that says, oh, funny. You know, I didn't say, hey, Siri. Oh, yeah. And my phone just activated. I swear <laughs> I didn't say it. Sorry, everybody. Oh, boy, telephone. I didn't say it. And my phone just started transcribing everything we were just talking about. Hey, Siri. No, didn't work. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, there it is. Hey, hi, Siri. Hey. How are you? Aloha. Oh, hi. You're on the podcast. Uh, so there's an option there. I don't see it now because I unchecked it, but there's an option there. I tweeted this a few days ago when a person told me about this. Uh, and you can un, you can basically say unenroll from beta. Sweet. Is, do you see that option? Yeah, in do your... not show pre-release updates. There we I'm go. Once go. you've I'm done that, then you are... and un... I'm good. Yeah, then it won't show up again. Uh, it unenrolls you. So you you can disenroll and then you don't get those announcements in the app store. Then you can go back and re-enroll if you want to, but this way you don't get the daily, hey, there's software updates. No, I'm not going to install that. I have a stable release. Free tip for everyone at home. Unlike the rest of this paid podcast. No, wait a second. It's all free. Uh, There was some news last week that was amusing while you were out. Uh, Amazon (laughs) made this... I don't even understand that company sometimes. Like, do they? Sometimes I feel like they're sitting around a table, rubbing their hands, and going, "What can we do to make things confusing and irritating for people?" Again, you're selling stuff to people. You're a store. You're a store. You want to get more stuff to people. But the conflict is between a store that now makes its own house brand, right? So Amazon says, "Hey, we're no longer going to carry Chromecast and Apple TV just before new Chromecast and Apple TVs are out." Of course. Which it makes less sense than ever. What is going on here? Why would Amazon decide to not sell apparently some of its best-selling hardware? I don't know. <laughs> um, Nobody knows. I mean, the Fire TV is kind of cool, and I guess they think that if they don't sell the others, then really lazy people will just forget that they exist. Because <laughs> it's like, I mean, people I know, know what exists. I, I guess maybe if you just went and searched for Chromecast, like does the Apple TV come up or can like third party sellers sell? Because anyone can sell stuff on Amazon. Like couldn't someone else just start selling Chromecasts on Amazon? I no, no, this is the thing. So they alerted third party sellers. This is how it was turned out that they're not gonna that third party sellers are not allowed to sell these. Oh, so that's crazy. I know. Yeah, because so people were saying that they like banned Chromecast. And I was like, well, if a store like, you know, declines <clears throat> to no. sell something, that's not the same as banning it. But if they're saying third party sellers, you can sell whatever you want except for these things, then that is kind of banning them. It is. And it's so, I mean, this that's is a bananas. case where Amazon is neither a monopoly. It's not the only place people buy this kind of gear from, nor is it a monopsony. It's not the single or, you know, sole or biggest purchaser of the product from the company selling it. So plenty of other places you can get. Uh, you can go to Apple site, you can go to Google site and buy these things with free shipping from them. And that's what will happen. But it just seems petty, especially at a it point. It does. <clears throat> right. So I mean, and now you think, I mean, Chromecast, apparently, uh, I have not done development for that or looked into it. But apparently, Amazon could have at any point integrated itself, you know, release Chromecast compatible app or whatever components needed. I'm surprised if the Amazon app isn't Chromecast compatible. It's I, not. That's I believe it's not. Now that's. I hope I'm not saying this wrong. Our Android friends will correct us. Our Google friends, our uh, our Nest friends, whoever they are now, Alphabet, our Alphabet buddies, our Alphabet buddies will tell us what's going on. Uh, but Apple TV. I mean, this is the whole thing. Would there be an Amazon app for the new Apple TV for TVOS? And uh, maybe not now, but. It just, it seems like very weird timing. I mean, how, 
the whole point <laughs> when you have digital media, like this is the thing that drives me crazy. And I learned this lesson 15 years ago when uh, Boingo Wireless founded, the guy who founded this, Sky Dayton, who also founded Earthlink. He said to me, look, when you have a pipe out there, the thing you want to do is you want to load the pipe to capacity. If it's a smart pipe, you're trying to restrict the pipe's um, ability because you're making money off the scarcity in the pipe, right? So telephone companies still have this debate, and you know, are we a smarter dumb pipe? And a dumb pipe, you sell it to everybody, and you make all your money by everyone filling that thing, and you build infrastructure. So I feel like I, this lesson comes up again and again, and here it's like Amazon has a digital product. It costs them some marginal amount to feed it out to people. They're, they're programming for Amazon Video. Instant video. Uh, so their goal should be to feed it as much programming as possible. And the hardware that they sell is a mechanism for it, but their goal should be more people to access it. So why would they not want more kinds of hardware to be sold? Because surely their margins on the fire equipment, which is kind of a one-time sale and then upgrades later, that can't be, I don't under, I don't understand. It doesn't make any business sense to me for pushing a, you know, they pushing a prime subscription. My prime subscription to Amazon is worth more or if my Apple TV will play Amazon Video. Yeah. And it will. I mean, it, you know, it, you can airplay it from the Amazon iOS app, but yeah, yeah. It, it needs a native app. And I mean, I'm surprised. I can kind of see Apple TV maybe, but I'm surprised about Chromecast because like there's such different products. Like they both sort of do the same thing at the end of the day, but they do it in totally different ways. And it just doesn't seem like there would be a lot of people who are saying, I'm not, you know, I want all these features the Fire TV has, but I'm not going to get them. I'm going to get this Chromecast for 30 bucks instead. Like, I, I just don't see that don't happening understand. a lot. It just doesn't seem like the right competitive angle because Amazon ostensibly hardware is not where yeah, they're they make not their making margins. money on hardware, right? Yeah. yeah so, so don't you? Strange. I don't. I mean, that was the logic when they started I mean, making so Kindle many apps. weird things over there. <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. I mean, it could be punitive, but it does. I I don't know. Maybe we'll find out more. Fast Company or somebody will do uh, Business Insider. We'll get some kind of inside scoop and we'll find out what the thinking is there because it just doesn't make any sense to their strategy. They're ultimately they should be selling mostly digital stuff in some hardware and the hardware should facilitate the delivery of the digital stuff yeah. and not be, you know, given, <clears throat> excuse me, how they're organized. It would make the most sense. Um, related to TVOS though, it's come out. Uh, uh, we ran an article in Macworld last week. Also that universal search will be coming in the future. That was now discussed by some Apple folks. Um, so originally it's only going to be uh, Netflix and a handful of apps, Hulu and so forth. Yeah, I think it's it's HBO, Showtime, Netflix, and Hulu, which will cover a lot. I mean, that's most of the, you know, the stuff. I I have a bunch of subscriptions, and and that will cover like most of what I watch. So if they bring in more, but yeah, they they had said from the beginning that they wanted to bring in more and make it universal. I mean, the Fire TV had a few at launch, and I think they've added two more or a few more since then. So that, yeah, that's something that it doesn't have to all be on day one, but if they really have Netflix, Hulu, HBO and Showtime on mm -hmm. day one, like that's, that's kind of awesome. Yeah. I think it's a great, and then of course start. the iTunes store, it'll also search the iTunes store. So it'll search, you know, your subscriptions for those things. And then it'll tell you, you know, like, oh, you can already watch that thing for free of, under one of these subscriptions you pay for in lieu of, you know, buying it from us. So, Apparently, the Fire TV, by the way, um, will not tell you that you can watch other stuff. So if you search on there, 
it will tell you you can you know buy it, but it won't tell you it's available on some other services. So there you go. It's supposed to, Locking. yeah. No, it's it does. To, like, it doesn't, so it'll it the gives fire? you no. Someone yeah. just posted a story about this, maybe even on our own site. So I'm trying to remember. I'll have to try it again. But uh, when I reviewed it, like yeah, you would it would give you Amazon on the first page, and then you would have to go to like a little more page, and it'd be like, oh, oh yeah, it's also on Netflix. So it was a little sneaky, and you couldn't like it. search for Amazon. Like I only want to see things that I you know I can get for free through Prime. It would just show you any you know anything Amazon sells. But I haven't I haven't used the Fire TV in a while. Maybe it's changed. I don't know. I'll have to go back and look at that. We'll find this article that Glenn said and put it in the show notes. If it exists, perhaps I dreamed it. But uh, <laughs> no, I just saw someone talking about that. It was a little bit of irony. But I think you're right. It might just be that's hidden because the first yeah. you're showing the results from the first page and it wasn't there. Yeah, they want they want you to get it from Amazon, but they they do also search the other things and say, well, I guess if you want to watch it on Netflix. Uh, so on to our next topic. Another thing that we're going to start, we're going to do the, the universal shrug symbol. I'm doing a shrug emoticon right now. Okay. So uh, content blocking extensions, lots of talk about them over the last few weeks. Lots and lots of talk and concern. Really, I didn't and notice. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing to be on vacation for. And, you know, in peace, Marco Arment pulls peace from the store and Apple does this unprecedented thing and rebates everybody or refunds everyone their money. Yeah, and I was around for that. What, yeah, anything so that happened happens. since then, what I miss. Uh, so, you know, the Crystal Crystal app was the number oh, one right. selling thing. Yeah, I heard about uh, this. Fella says, uh, hey, so uh, good news, everyone. Great news. You're going to be able to have ads with your ad blocker. Hey, I hear you like ad blockers. So you probably like ads, right? It's like, no, I don't like, no, wait, I don't like ads. <laughs> and it's a paid ad blocker. Right. Point so you paid you, to block the ads and I, then the advertisers are paying to show you the ads anyway. <laughs> this is, I'm doing this Seinfeld routine. Like, no, I don't think you understand what a reservation means. Uh <laughs> Because uh, you don't have a car for me. So, yeah, so this is a little confusing is uh, there is this outfit that um, had, basically arranges for uh, – to whitelist companies. And then they pay ad blocking services to uh, – it's this company E – I think they make it so. It's Adblock Pro. There's multiple ad blocks. We'll talk about that in a second. But Adblock Pro, product maker, IO, spelled E-Y-E-O. I assume – they spell it that way so you can't pronounce it. No one will ever be able to spell it, right? Mm -hmm. I.O. Uh, German company. Uh, they have an acceptable ads uh, policy, and they have, says, uh, according to a story at The Verge, over 70 companies, including Google and Microsoft, pay to be let through ad blocker technology, and that over 700 companies have ads that meet its criteria, so it's going to get even bigger. So uh, the fella behind uh, Dean Murphy is behind Crystal, is, um, you know, he, I, I get that. So, you know, we're an ad supported publication, Susie, Mac World. Yes, is. we are. Um, and I like the idea that if there are ads that meet what reasonable people would think are the criteria of why someone chose a given ad blocker, that perhaps those would be let through. But this feels to me, um, it depends how it gets implemented. So Crystal, the new version hasn't come out yet. And he says, you'll be able to opt out of it. But I'm like, look, if I paid Wouldn't you money, everyone just opt out? Well, yeah, but then you have to know. So the question is, will people remember to configure it? Will they be paying attention? Will they do this? So we'll just show ads to the dumb people. <laughs> yeah, it's, just a, it's an abrogation of the deal. It's, it's like, so I didn't buy awful. this. Yeah, it's, it should be an opt-in feature. And in fact, I think people... Like, aren't I opting in by buying an opt-in? Well, no, yeah, blocker? exactly. But I think you, I, would, I would actually opt in. if I, I would look at the criteria. And if I felt this acceptable ads thing actually was engaged, you know, it was companies that engage in reasonable behavior and so forth, I might opt in. I'm not opposed to advertising. I'm opposed to my privacy being violated by malware being sent to me through ad networks, all the rest of it. So, uh, you know, I don't know. 
I don't know. It's, and it is, you know, like there, there's that do not track thing that was supposed to let people opt out of being tracked across the web. And nobody honors it, I guess, is the what I'm hearing. I don't really know that yeah, much the, about it. But the ad networks so it's never like they, signed they on to it. They did kind of bring this on themselves. But, yeah, like consumers are getting stuck in the middle now. And that really blows. Well, do not track got confusing because it's just a setting that sends a header whenever you request a page. that says do not track. And it's either set to one or zero or nothing, I think, are the values. Uh, or you don't send it at all. And what got confusing is some browser makers said, well, we'll turn it on by default which takes away the whole point of it. If it's turned on by default, then every browser with it on by default is making a setting for the user. And the advertising network said, users need to affirmatively engage this because some people want to see ads. And if you do this by default, you're actually asking people to opt out of what the nature of the net is. And I think that, so instead of it being, the settings aren't on off, they're not at all, not engaged on, you know, track me or don't track me. And uh, I think that muddied the waters. And I can understand why. If it had been, we're going to add this feature and you have to check a box, which is how Safari works, to turn it on, then it might have gotten more traction. But uh, related to this, by the way, is that so you know there's Adblock and there's Adblock Pro. Those are two separate products and companies. Isn't there Adblock Plus too? There's oh just my so God. many. I think they all just Adblock. went with the name Adblock. Yeah, I don't know how they sorted out the trademark issue, but It'd apparently... Be like if you could buy Kleenex and like Kleenex Max and they were made by like two different companies. Well, does I... Yeah, because IO makes Adblock, Adblock Pro. Oh my gosh, that's right. They make Adblock Pro. No, no, wait. They make Adblock... <laughs> we're going to get this right. They make <laughs> Adblock Plus. So IO makes Adblock Plus. I'm sorry. They It's so... Uh, Oh, in fact, I'm sorry. I just discovered an error on a competing site. It was calling it Adblock Pro. Adblock Plus is from uh, IO, and they have this acceptable ads policy, E-Y-E-O. Adblock was made by uh, this other person, Michael Gunlock, who posted a note just a few days ago, I think while you're out of town, October 2nd, posts a note and says, hey, uh, we are uh, participating in the uh, acceptable uh, Acceptable uh, ads ads program, and... uh, there you go. It's just, uh, it's all over. It's all over. <laughs> so everyone's it's weird. part it of It kind of reminded me of like net neutrality a little bit. It was like, you know, we're going to treat some of it different than others because, you know, they paid us to, or, you know, someone somewhere is making like an, you know, a judgment call. Like these ads are cool, but these ads aren't. And it's, it's very strange. So it reminded you of, um, uh, it reminded me of the, the. It reminded you of Seinfeld. It reminded me of The Simpsons when mm-hmm. when Homer goes vigilante and Lisa says, "If you're the police, who will police the police?" And he says, "I don't know, Coast Guard." We need the Coast Guard <laughs> of ads to come in and say, "Like these, these are cool." Because I mean, that yeah. was one of Marco's problems, right? Was he would he, you know, he was using Ghostery's database and they had um, the deck that one that so Marco uses it and I guess John Gruber uses it and Six Colors and. Some sites and they use it specifically because the ads aren't super annoying. They're not animated. They're just kind of over on the side, so people who want to support your site can, can right, engage with that ad and click it. They don't feed out JavaScript. They don't yes, do. There was some they don't tracking do thing. Weird tracking. They did something and they turned it off. They said we sometimes do this. We weren't using the data, and they just turned it off after this latest kerfuffle because it wasn't being used. They're like, look, it's one more thing we don't have to have enabled. Yeah, so. and it's almost like you know to to differentiate themselves. How Apple is like, you know, we're the company who cares about your privacy. Like the deck is the you know the ads the ad network that you know cares about not ticking off everyone who sees its ads which is great but um yeah so ghostry you know said well it's still an ad network so we're gonna you know we're gonna let people block it 
And that was one of the reasons, maybe, I mean, you know, that, that could have contributed to, to Marco's decision to pull his ad blocker. Well, I like, there's a lot of uh, a different, I mean, there's several different content blocking extensions out there now. And one of them, uh, one blocker I've been citing a lot because it's very sophisticated and you, and it differentiates as some of them do where it's separating out uh, s- uh, networks that are entirely devoted to tracking. So there's sort of uh, analytics and other kinds of things, whether good or ill advertising, um, you know, Twitter related sites where you're not necessarily worried about Twitter, but you just don't want to have any Twitter related stuff on your, you know, loaded. Uh, so it breaks it all out and then it shows every rule it sets. In one case, I think there's like 3000 rules for tracking networks. And so you can enable and disable individual rules if you want to, that may be too detailed, but it's exposing everything it's doing and, uh, lets you be more active participant. But yeah, so crystal is going to be participating in ad block pluses, acceptable uh, ads program, uh, ad block. The guy apparently sold, what we can tell is he sold this software. He enabled by default, this new opt-in thing. And what he said is that, uh, yeah. So, oh my gosh, it's so complicated. He didn't disclose who he sold it to. Right. No one really knows who owns it now. But the new acceptable ads program is going to be, so he's going to participate in acceptable ads. So it's unclear did ad block plus by ad block, but ad block plus is going to be transferring, uh, they're the way they choose which acceptable ads are. It's just, it's interesting because on the, you know, on the advertising side, the side that we're partly our, our salaries and fees are partly paid by advertising. You know, we have a high interest in this, but we also want, God, I want some disclosure. I want this to be all upfront and very clearly stated what's going on. Ah, it's a little nuts. All right. That so let's, let's take a quick break and talk about some advertising. Wait a minute. What? Let's, uh, <laughs> let's talk about our sponsor this week so we can thank them. And then we will uh, talk about some more issues here. Uh, so I'd like to thank uh, Red Hat, who is uh, helping us bring this podcast to you this week. So it's maybe not news that supported open source is now widely accepted at the highest levels of enterprise computing, but the extent of adoption is probably broader than you think. And most of the open source running in elite data centers is Red Hat. And it's more than just Red Hat Enterprise Linux, too. Red Hat offers storage solutions, cloud computing, and everything you need for application development. It's all open source. It's all enterprise grade. The stats are eye-opening. Red Hat runs in every executive department of the U.S. federal government, every airline, telecom giant, and healthcare company in the Fortune Global 500, the New York Stock Exchange, and every commercial bank in the Fortune 500. In fact, more than 90% of all the companies in the Fortune 500 use Red Hat for everything from the critical to the routine. The only thing that's surprising is that not that many people know that Red Hat is powering this much of the Internet's critical commerce and other infrastructure. It's like they they snuck in and transformed the technology business without making a fuss. Sometimes the most disruptive technology is the stuff that nobody notices at first. If you want to find out more about how Red Hat is quietly redefining enterprise technology, well, you can visit redhat.com. That's a site on the Internet, if you've, if you've heard of the Internet. Go to redhat.com. Red Hat, build on it, run with it, count on it. And thank you to Red Hat for helping to be our clearly identified advertising partner on this episode. Uh, Let us talk about something else. Hey, you know what? I sold my watch. Oh, wow. I'm no longer an Apple Watch owner. Oh, man. That's crazy. I'm not not sorry. (laughs) Yeah, you know. You tried. <laughs> However, because I am not a uh, typical technology pundit, I'm not going to try to convince you and everyone else that you're wrong for owning a watch. 
That's well, a, that would be, yeah, that would be rude of you. So, you know, you would never do that. But I mean, the funny thing is, I mean, I want to hear your story, but the funny thing is, yeah, we were all looking so forward to watch OS 2 and that was going to make it like so much more useful and like native apps. And, you know, I can put my picture on the watch face and all the cool stuff watch OS 2 is going to bring. And then watch OS 2 came out, you know, right around when the new iPhones were released and I don't know how Apple like messed this up, but it seemed like you couldn't really upgrade to a new iPhone without like completely wiping your Apple Watch. Like my Apple Watch stuff didn't really carry over. And when I tried to launch my Apple Watch, it was still paired to my old phone and not just automatically paired to my new phone. And I kind of just had to set it up as a new watch. Oh, and I no. didn't really Well, I didn't really care because I didn't have that much stuff on it. I mean, because like everything's just from your phone, you know, so as long as all those apps and stuff are on your phone... You could wipe your Apple Watch whenever and then just put it all back. Like, it's pretty easy. But it wasn't like, oh, okay, we'll just save your Apple Watch profile and, and move it over. Maybe I did something wrong and other people, I mean, I was on vacation, so I didn't really, like, spend a lot of time researching, like, oh, why, you know, why can't I make my Apple Watch work with my new phone? I just like, okay, fine, new phone, set up Apple no, pe- Watch is new, no people problem. People had problems. Some people talked about it taking hours and hours and hours to download it. I couldn't get it to find my watch, my iPhone, to find it for the longest time. Yeah. And then I finally found it. And then I let it run overnight and just let it, you know, I'd basically put the phone and watch next to each other and let them make beautiful music while I slept. Yeah, that's kind of what, yeah, I, it couldn't find it. It wanted me to repair it like so many oh, times geez. and it wasn't working. So I just set it up as new. But then it was funny. Like I just didn't, I didn't add any apps back to it. I haven't really like dived into watchOS 2 apps yet. I mean, we've done some stuff on Macworld and I want to like, you know, look at those and and kind of catch up a little bit. And maybe there's some some stuff out there that's really going to fit my workflow. I mean, I'm still using it. I used it a ton for transit directions. I still use it a lot to set timers. That's the thing I use like the most is setting timers and alarms like for my wrist instead of getting my phone out and, um, you know, learning about text messages and notifications. But that's and telling the time. But it's funny, like watchOS 2 is supposed to change everything. And for me, like I actually like step back my usage a little bit just because of this this weird thing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, I've heard a lot of people, I don't know if it's exactly disappointed in watchOS 2, but it, it, we were expecting it to be a bigger transition. And I think, I think this happened with iOS 9 as well is that uh, developers weren't, I want to say required or Apple didn't push them as hard. So iOS 9, I've been seeing a continuous trickle of apps. I mean, some came out right away. But it's weeks after it's come out, and I'm still seeing apps release their iOS 9, like fully capable versions of it. And I think that's partly because of the hardware announcement. Uh, some developers are, are trying to push out um, – this happened with TweetBot, for instance, TweetBot 4 for iOS, which I just reviewed for Macworld. Uh, they had a version well underway, and they wanted to push it out with iOS 9. And then Apple comes out with force or uh, 3D Touch and some new features, right? And that's perfect for software like TweetBot, but they need to get, so they got their iOS 9 version out uh, a couple weeks after iOS 9 shipped. They didn't get it out day and date. And, uh, you know, now ostensibly they and other developers are working on getting 3D touch in. So I think we're not seeing the same, like, uh, incredible headlong rush to get stuff out with the, with the iOS update because not as much broke as it has in previous releases. And then watchOS 2, I mean, I've seen apps update, but after I installed the update, I kept looking for new things, and I still felt like the performance was the same. I wasn't seeing 
apps that really blew me away where I thought, well, this is really different. And you know what it wound up doing? I, I barely have watched, uh, worn the watch for, I don't know, three months, two months. I think since I took a trip in late June where it was very useful, I stopped putting it on. I left it on the charger. I put watchOS 2 on it, walked around with it for a bit, for a couple of days and just went, you know, there's nothing on here that makes me look at it. There's nothing where I feel like I don't have, it's not, it's like my iPhone only smaller and harder to use. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, you know, I think they have to, I was hoping, you remember I wrote about this before the watch shipped and I, and I really still hope it transforms in this. I wanted something transformative in terms of identity and as a hub. So I wanted something that was an easier way for me to prove who I was, to do things. I mean, even the fact that you have to like turn your wrist over where you can't then see the credit card when you're doing the Apple Pay, like they're just, you know, I'd rather, I don't know. I just want something that, it doesn't have to be watch light. I think they ch chose the watch form factor because it's familiar to people. But I think what their ultimate device is going to be is going to be more transformative. It's going to be a wearable thing that is really not necess necessarily going to wind up on your wrist. Um, that's where I think we'll see. I mean, you know, this is where all the fit bands and or, uh, uh, fitness bands and things like that are centered around. It's like stuff you wear on your wrist or, you know. Um, because it's easy and convenient, you can look at it. But I think it's going to be more subtle when it's something you don't have to see. It's something mm -hmm. you wear and you use, but it's invisible to you and your interaction with it is different. Yeah. Yeah, that could be. <clears throat> I don't know. But um, but anyway, it's easy to sell one. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I posted a note on Twitter. I'm like, hey, I'm going to sell it. A friend of mine, I uh, didn't know what he was looking for. And I mean, immediately he was like, hey, I'll buy it from you. I'm like, great. Bing, bing, PayPal, USPS. And two days later, he had it in his, on his wrist. Sent me a picture. So. Excellent. Yeah, Very good to know. Easy. A couple of the the ladies here when the, they first came out, um, Leah and Caitlin are my beautiful staffers. Um, they, you know, obviously wanted the rose gold edition. They were mm -hmm. like, "That's the prettiest thing I've ever seen," and you know, but it costs seventeen grand, so I'll never have one. <laughs> like boohoo. And then right before the holidays, Apple's like, "Guess what? We're gonna do a rose gold like sport one that costs three hundred and fifty. And they both had the aluminum sport. Like everyone on staff got one. Mm -hmm. So they both had the aluminum sport with, you know, like the plastic band and they're both just like, are you kidding me? Like they're both mad and they want to sell their original ones and get the new ones. But it's like, you know, it's awkward because, you know, like we all got them as a staff and they're like, am I allowed to sell this thing? And I was like, I don't know. Let's let's talk to the boss. So we're trying to work it out. But they're both like, like Leah's considering like just buying one with her own money because like they really want the rose gold. It's so funny. Oh, man. Well, that's I mean, this is the whole point. It's a fashion accessory. It says mm -hmm. something about you. And I mean, even the fact that you get rose gold now. And, you know, more options for iPhones. I think that's, uh, that is a real thing that Apple opened up to the idea that people like different colors. Of yeah, things, it's it marketing genius. And it's easy to just, you know, dismiss as like, oh, that's some like marketing crap. But like, it really helps, you know, and like these early adopters got in on the one thing. And then like now, you know, well, it's they're fun to use kind of his and hers. Um, I know uh, Tanya and uh, blanking on his name. Adam? Yes, Adam, thank you. <laughs> Tanya and Adam are, you know, both have them and they're like, oh, the communication's really cool. And like my husband doesn't have one and like would not wear one at all. So, but like, yeah, I think it's kind of funny that they were like, oh, yeah, it's the holidays. Maybe you should get one for your special lady. And yeah. It's, oh, my wife it's, would it's kill it's me really if smart. I got her one of these things, not just the cost, but even if I'd kept mine, she'd be just like, why did you do this to me? Yeah. Why? I don't want more technology. <laughs> like, I have to wear this thing. I have to now. wear this. I don't You'd want more so technology. Mad. I don't want more things <laughs> claiming my attention. I don't want more things that I have to 
to manage and update and install. And what do you mean? I mean, she's still angry that iTunes is still the only way to do certain things, right? I think my wife is the biggest iTunes hater, and that's that's saying something. <clears throat> and uh, but like the idea that you'd have to use the iPhone to manage your watch would make her angry every day. So yeah. I'm not going to make my wife angry. I'm not going to get her one. That's my present to but her. But I feel like a lot of people would be like, oh, yeah, I've gotten this and it's done this for me. <clears throat> and, and now I want to get them for my family. And Apple came out with all these oh, nice man. new colors. And it seems like a frivolous thing. But if you're wearing it on your wrist every day, like, you know, you want it to look good. Hey, but again, I'm not going to be that kind of pundit. I'm not going to be the Macalope-oriented uh, uh, pundit who uh, writes in order to get parodied uh, and say, <laughs> well, that's terrible. No one can find utility out of it. I know so so many people who the watch was transformative for them. It's not like they couldn't do things before, but more like it fits into their lives. It's, you know, you look at Jim Dalrymple, it, he's lost tens of pounds, a long time plan, reformed his health. He looks and awesome. I know. Yeah. And I know a lot of people who say this was the thing that changed my health, having something on my wrist as a reminder. Now for me, the Fitbit did that a long time ago as I walk, you know, 10,000 steps a day. Uh, minimum on most days, sometimes a lot more because I have a thing that helps me track and gives me positive and negative feedback about it. And uh, But Fitbit didn't do it for some people who didn't own one or it was too simple or easy to lose. And the watch has been that motivation. And other people, it's just, it fits perfectly into what they do. It's exactly yeah. where they want information at the attention level they want it. So um, it, it's certainly, a, it's a very wonderfully made piece of hardware. I still am confused by there's so many buttons on it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, I think it's got room to mature a lot from where it's at. Right. Yeah. And, and interface is a big part of that because, you know, your phone, you've got a button, another button and a touchscreen. And this has a touchscreen. You can press the crown. You can twist the crown. You can press the button. You can double press the button. You can hold the button down. Like there's I all just, these kind of ways to interact with it for such a small thing. It's child's play. Um, <laughs> I want to transition into a, into a related topic because and then we'll talk about new iPhones because you and I are both going to get – you got a new one. I'm going to get one, uh, which was not the case when we talked about it that long ago. I was like, I'm not getting a new phone. But the, the quick thing I wanted to say is uh, – about Apple Pay, since we're just talking about the watch, you know, I'd occasionally wear the watch just to mess around with it in Apple Pay, and it is very awkward that you have to turn the face away from you typically to get it to work. You don't always, but where the you're kind of mashing it against the payment yeah. terminal, and it doesn't. Fit I don't your, know if that's the terminals aren't strong enough, or you don't want to make them really strong because then you don't want to have it pick up like a device you have in your bag or something. You don't want it to have to get really close, but it's near. It's, just, it's got that in the name. It's near yeah, field. Near you gotta field. Get, really get close. close. But so. This event happened, I was talking about this at various points in the recent past, is uh, the credit card liability transition is hit. Oh, my God, it's happened. October 1st. You could sense the change. No, not at all. So this is the deal <laughs> where uh, America is a late adopter of the EMV card or chip that goes into cards, which is called chip and pin in other countries. And here it's chip and signature or chip and pin. So the chip provides a cryptographic basis on which a transaction can be identified when you plug it into a special dip reader, which you see on these point of sale systems. So all the companies uh, that upgraded uh, like chains and so forth that updated their point of sale uh, terminals, you'll have a swipe slot, which you're familiar with. You'll have NFC often and enabled now. And then at the bottom, there's a thing where you slide the card in and then here's the kicker, which I didn't realize until just recently. It takes like 15 to 20 seconds. It takes so long. And you shove it in and leave it there, which people got, are I, which used to like weird. sticking it in and pulling it right back out. So yeah. like every time you go to Target, like you'll be in line behind five people who are like, suddenly I don't know how to use a credit card. Like I swear I'm not an idiot. They just changed how credit cards work. And it's 
it takes so long. It's going to accelerate like we had the to, move. We oh, went through the self-checkout and we had to like call the lady for help and she had to call her supervisor Oh for my help. goodness. It's a crap but, show. Because here's terrible. what happened. So here's the thing that happened that I think it took people by surprise. So, so first of all, something like, I forget what it is, like a quarter of merchants or fewer are ready for EMV. For chips, right? Second, Yay. only, and this surprised me, only about 20% of credit cards issued were updated with chips by the deadline, which is stunning because the industry was all over it. You know, big companies did, Chase did, but my Comenity card for, that's uh, Virgin America didn't. I've got an Amex with a chip, but I, and my uh, local credit union uh, upgraded. And they're the ones with the real incentive, right? Because they're passing the liability on to the store? Exactly. So the transition that happened, so before October 1st, uh, merchants bear no liability for um, stolen, uh, ostensibly, bear no liability for uh, counterfeit cards or lost or stolen cards so long as they go through a verification stage. So when you swipe a card into a reader, it's actually, you know, it's dialing up. It used to be an actual dial, right? In some places, I've still been in places where the phone dials up. It's amazing. But it's usually an internet connection to the servers and it runs a bunch of stuff. It does like parameters, the things being purchased, the cost of it. Um, in some cases, you may have to punch in your zip code to, you know, if you're at a a tank, uh, filling up your tank. Uh, and it uh, checks against lost and stolen database. It checks against pattern. Is this card being charged at a Best Buy in Tulsa? And the last time it was used is by somebody who lives in Massachusetts and they're buying a $500 item. So all these things happen. And then if the bank approves the charge and the merchants did everything right, if it's a a stolen card or a counterfeit card, the merchant is absolved and they don't, you know, they don't get a charge back. They don't have to eat the transaction. Um, in other cases, the merchant does. So what happened on October 1st is that if a consumer walks in with a card that has a chip in it and the merchant is unable to process a chip transaction and it's a stolen or counterfeit card, and that's not captured through the swiping process, which stolen cards will still be identified that way, then the merchant eats that. And the scenario that one analyst told me about is, you know how you go into convenience stores and they're full of gift cards now? That's a huge business for, um, for small convenience stores even. They work with third parties and you get a gift card and they enable it at the counter. Uh, so you can't just steal the card, it has a value. Um, so that's apparently ripe for us. So someone's going to walk in with a, at a store they know doesn't do dips. They're going to have counterfeit card. They're going to buy a bunch of gift cards, you know, hundreds of dollars of it, pay for it. The card will be approved. And then that merchant's going to owe. That's entirely on them. And uh, so this analyst I spoke to expects there could be tons of bankruptcies and, you know, huge amount of fraud at the lowest, at the weakest point where, um, where the merchant is responsible because it's a chipped card and they allowed a swipe transaction to go through. Crazy. But this is where so this is where Apple Pay and Samsung Pay and Android Pay will save us all. <laughs> is is those transactions don't, you know, those go outside of this whole process. There's still credit card transactions, but it's um it's all these uh, makers of hardware like Apple, they're not verifying the transaction is perfect, but they handle their own cryptographic process, the cards stored, and so anything goes wrong, Apple bears a little bit of that risk or Samsung or Google or whoever's part of that uh, that ecosystem, uh, but from the consumer standpoint, it's fast. You know, you tap, boom, it's done. So it's not yeah. just twenty seconds. It's faster now too because you don't have to figure out like which you know slot to shove your card in. And, <laughs> uh, you know, like if, if I put it in there, is it reading? Like, can I take it out yet? You have to like wait for it to take it out. It beeps really loud. So like, yeah, Apple Pay just got easier to use in comparison to like the weirdness. Of oh yeah, this I think new it's the timing for process. The timing for Android Pay and Samsung Pay are really good because people are going to be so irritated by chipped cards is going to push them even if they otherwise would be like, I don't know if I want to pay with my phone. They're going to be like, 
screw yeah, this. Yeah, at first people were like, I guess that's more convenient, but you're really just, you know, instead of taking your card out, you're taking your phone out. Like, what's yeah, the diff? But, but now it's like, be, no, seriously, this is way better. Yeah, I mean, especially it's faster than swiping in most cases. Now, Trader Joe's still has this funny system where uh, tapping my phone or swiping produces the identical transaction. Like, I still have to tap that it's a credit or debit. I still have to go through steps. Uh, where other merchants, if I go into Walgreens and I tap, it's like, boom, you're done. You're like, it's like, boop, fingerprint, kaboom. Okay, here you go. Here's your receipt. Thanks for shopping. You're like, all right. So yeah, sometimes you still have to do your pin or you still have to sign yeah. or, but it's, it is easier. Yeah. And so part of what's coming too, is we're going to see um, smaller merchants. Uh, so what Square did, I think I may have mentioned this before, but they haven't, they haven't shipped their new product, but it's um, the Square, new Square Reader uh, I forget what they're calling it, is uh, like a little battery-operated rechargeable doohickey that does both chip uh, and NFC. Yeah, it's so, cool. Yeah, and it's We wrote about it. It's really cool. Oh, that's right. And, you know, in fact, you can see Leah did a stand-up at, uh, at Blue Bottle mm -hmm. uh, near you guys where they had one in uh, for demo. There's a video you can watch of it in action. And uh, what Square has said is if you're a small merchant and you work with them and you order the uh, reader, as soon as you order it, even though they can't ship it, like they're going to be shipping all fall, they're bearing the liability. So if you have a fraudulent transaction you would be responsible for, they're going to eat it. Nice. Which is cool. I was in at uh, my hair salon the other day, and I, I asked them if they knew anything about this. They had not heard a word. But they've all walk-in customers. The idea of somebody, and mostly appointments from people like me who come back. So no one's going to walk in there. And you know, and I said, what's your fraud rate? And they're like, we get like one or two bad checks, and we call someone, and they send us a new check a year. So... For most merchants who have that sort of business, that's the thing. It's going to be for the ones that sell stuff that's easily resaleable, like gift cards and untraceable. Um, anyway, so I know it's a little bit inside baseball, but it's something we're going to face. We face. Hey, so let's talk about outside baseball, which is uh, <laughs> the phones, iPhones. So you got it. Do you get a new one? You got it before you left? No, that Came was the funny thing. Gone. So I made an appointment. I wanted to have it just delivered. I wanted to order it through AT&T and have it delivered, but I wanted to maybe have it delivered to work since I wasn't going to be at my house or maybe like even to my aunt's house on vacation. Yeah. But no, no, AT&T will only deliver it to like the address on your bill, which is fine. I mean, I understand. So I made an appointment to get it at Apple and then I had to like, I either had to pay full price for it or use their upgrade program. I couldn't like get the AT&T price through Apple. It was, it was kind of weird. So I pre-ordered it and I went to the mall in New Jersey at 8 a.m. on a Friday morning, um, which I'd just flown in the night before. Oh so it was gosh. 5 a.m. in my brain. I was huh. like, why did you make the first appointment? I think I was like, first appointment, 8 a.m., I'll be there. Because, like, you know, yay, new phone day. But then I was, like, totally kicking myself. My mom was supposed to come with me, and I called her from the hotel lobby being like, okay, mom, like, I'm leaving for the mall now. And she's like, yeah, I'm not going. <laughs> so <laughs> even my mom bailed on me how, like, silly this errand was. But I went to... The mall at Short Hills, which is the very fancy mall in northern New Jersey. And I stood in line with the other smart people that had made reservations. And there was like a Bentley in the middle of the mall. Just like, hey, Short Hills, oh. fancy people, come to our Bentley dealership. And I tweeted a picture of it. And I said, this Bentley doesn't have CarPlay. One star. Ha, ha, ha. You know, just bored in line. And the guy, two guys behind me in line was like, I'm looking at this Bentley. Susie Oaks just tweeted this Bentley. Like, Susie Oaks must be here. Oh, my gosh. So I was like, oh, hi. I'm actually Susie Oaks. And oh, that was that's really hilarious. funny and weird. Yeah, this is it was the first time that, I've ever been, like, recognized from Twitter. This is why you need the uh, – see, I've always thought Twitter – 
with an opt-in people near you thing. They used to have, they have something like that, I think. Still, I've never seen it work useful, but I thought geofencing tweets, like only tweet, only people near me can see this one by default. You'd have to go and find it in my timeline otherwise, but it doesn't just show up by for everyone who follows me because then you could have things like that happen. Um, it was just crazy. Like he noticed as soon as I tweeted it because so everyone's funny. just sitting there looking at their phones. We're all really bored. And he happened to follow me on Twitter. He happened to see like I'm never even caught up on my Twitter, but he was like he was on it. He was just like, "What? that's you. What are you doing here? So we had a nice like convo. That was really funny. How strange that someone Shout like out to my Mac New Jersey World. friend. Oh, sorry. How strange that someone like Matt, who likes Macworld would be uh, online at an Apple store though. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. But that was a fun way to, you know, pass the 10 minutes until our, our Apple reps came and sold us our phones. So anyway, yeah, I got the pink one and it was nice. I didn't have to like, you know, I was on vacation, so I didn't like have to review it or write anything about it. So I just got to use it as a regular person. Oh my person. gosh. And it was really fun. Um, the live photos thing was hilariously fun. Like, so I went to a wedding the next day and it was just live photos, live photos, live photos. And I was showing them to all my family. And it was funny. Like I kept going on Twitter and, and seeing, you know, I follow a bunch of nerds and pundits and journalists on Twitter. And they're all like, eh, the frame rate is not very high. And, you know, like, you can't really do much with these. And, and I was like, okay, like I'm at a wedding. I'm drunk. My relatives all think that my phone is Harry Potter. Like <laughs> we just had so much fun with it. So it was fun just to, you know, realize that, you know, normal people don't always see these as the, as the tech elite do. Um, they just appreciated it for a while. That photo just moved. Yeah, I think that's uh, things that look a little bit like magic, as long as they don't break the illusion. You know, it's that there's a. I want to say it's connoisseurship was something I, I learned uh, in college. Is you know, it's appreciating things that are too expensive for you is the brief thing. So it's like when you learn <laughs> yes. too much about a subject and you become a connoisseur, the problem is then everything is like dross. It's all ashes in your mouth. So one of the I've carefully cultivated not learning too much about wine because then I can drink you know two buck chuck. And, exactly. Uh, me too. Yeah. So don't you know? And if you learn too much about video. And you look at it too closely, suddenly it's like everything looks bad except the best thing and then where are you at? So Yeah, we were at the puppet show, enjoying the puppet show and not looking for the strings. And <laughs> it was it was fun. That's and so live photos, like definitely worth it. I didn't get as much use out of 3D touch. Like the only times I used it were to make the live photos move. And when people were like, oh, is that the new phone? Like, what can it do? I would be like, oh, here it has this 3D touch thing. And I 3D touch some icons. And they were like, oh, that's nice. But I'm not actually using them. So, but but live photos I've had a lot of fun with. What about the uh, selection trackpad thing where you uh, push down and you can do uh, on the oh, keyboard? Oh, I haven't used that either. That, I'm really is, looking forward to that. Is that an iPhone 6S it is, exclusive yeah, feature? Yeah, it's, it's either a 3D touch or I believe it's rolled out to iPads, the big iPads, iPads yeah, that's big right. iPads. So yeah, yeah so uh, but it's a it's a feature, and um, I, I I hate selection on the iPhone. I think it's the you know it's a compromise. It always has been, but this sounds like everyone mentions this as a thing, and I'm thinking. Oh. I had someone try to talk me into said, "Oh no, you really need the iPhone 6s Plus. That's the model you need." I'm like, "No, it's too big for me. I don't want to put it in my pocket. I want. Yeah, I don't want a behemoth. That's too big um, for me too. But so you know, I got this process. I'm going to write it up for our fine site at some point here when it's over. But um, I uh, realized suddenly after I did the math that it's cheaper. I'd come out ahead buying an iPhone 6 than keeping my iPhone. Oh, a 6s rather than keeping my iPhone 6, which is sort of hilarious because the iPhones retain enough value now for resale when they're unlocked mm -hmm. that um, you can sell it for more than your buyout price. So yeah. I'm on the AT&T Next program. I mean, so all these installment plans, you're paying equal installments for X months, right? So I'm, I don't know, 13 months in now, I guess, to uh, to my iPhone 6. I've paid off, you know, 13 24 of the cost. And I look at 
AT&T and it says, oh, it'll cost you uh, $337 to buy out the rest of your phone. And there's no termination fees now, right? When you're on these plans, you basically have a contract or you have an obligation to pay this entire amount over any period of time from one to 24 months. And you can buy out at any time. And I don't have, I, and I've got a trade-in program with the current one I have. I'm thinking I'm on AT&T next 18. So I could also turn the phone back in and get another model, but that ties me to AT&T. So I'm looking around and I've got Apple Care Plus on this phone. It's got, you know, 11 months left of that. Gazelle would pay me like $340 for this phone in this condition and they're selling wow. it for well they're selling it for 450 and I have been using a case so some guy in Craigslist would give you 400. Oh yeah, easily. And especially yeah. with Apple Care Plus cuz that transfers with the phone. So that's you know you've oh. half the value of that as well. So I'm going to sell the phone for 400 425 probably. I'll come out ahead on that and then because the new iPhone 6s is identical to what I'm paying each month already on my AT&T Next plan. I have the same cost for the phone as a bring your own phone and I have the same cost as a monthly fee, uh, then I'm going to go to the iPhone upgrade plan because I always get Apple Care Plus because I'm, I've had it pay off for me in year two a bunch of times when I've had something that was not manufacturing defect uh, have to be covered. And you know I haven't dropped my phone and cracked the screen yet, but I know it's inevitable. So I'm willing to pay the hit, especially because the iPhone upgrade plan, they amortize it. So not only can you upgrade your phone after 12 months with Apple, but you're only paying 1 24th of your Apple Care Plus fee every month. You don't have to pay it all right. up front like you do with everybody else. And you don't have to go with a carrier insurance plan, which, you know, but we're going to have Dan Frakes on so I, I next week to talk phone. more about that, by the way. Dan Frakes, the former Macworld editor who's now at the Wirecutter, he's going to come on uh, the podcast next week and talk about iPhone installment plans. That's going to be awesome. Um, yeah, they just posted a big thing that I haven't read yet, but I'm looking forward to um, about how to buy an iPhone 6S or 6S Plus. And they went through like every single thing and, you know, in true wire cutter fashion, really break it down and then, you know, help you decide what you really need to do. Um, yeah. So when I showed up at the, the Apple store, I thought I would just... Um, like I have this really old AT&T plan. I still have the unlimited data. I'm yes. clinging to it. I'm yes. never going to get rid of it. So I'm kind of stuck on AT&T. I feel like I'm thinking about moving to T-Mobile, but like I have to move my whole family and just kind of a mess. So I was like, oh, I just want to keep everything the same and get it with the with the subsidized price from AT&T. And the Apple store guy is like, eh, AT&T is only doing the subsidy on the phones if you buy them from yeah, AT&T. Yeah. And I couldn't buy it from AT&T because I was away from home and... Anyway, so I was kind of stuck. It was like a, you know, make your decision right here and now. It's 5 a.m. in your brain. Um, you just had a giant <laughs> coffee and got recognized on Twitter. Like, everything's fuzzy. Um, and I had to decide, like, pay $800, like, right here oh, geez, and walk yeah. away. Or, like, do this iPhone upgrade plan through Apple. Yeah, yeah. So I went ahead and did that, and then I, like, immediately regretted it when but I was you can leaving. Buy I was like, I should have just paid no, the 800 bucks. You can buy out, though. This is the thing. The iPhone upgrade plan, uh, it's been confirmed. You can just buy it out any time you want to. Okay, I might just go. So ahead you don't and have do to do it. But, the but now it's like nine hundred dollars. Like it's not because I the the upgrade plan, the loan I received, it's like a no interest twenty four month loan. I had to sign loan papers. Um, you know, includes the the full retail price of the iPhone plus the retail price of the Apple Care Plus. So if I was right. buying it out, I'd be buying out both. I've never gotten Apple Care Plus before. Have you ever I'm not had really to use? a believer in extended warranties? I, I just feel mm. like you if you put. If every time they offered you an extended warranty, you just threw that 
that same money in like a savings account, you could just pay to like fix all your things. Okay, like I've look, broken iPhone screens before and I just pay to get them replaced. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, I Okay, so I am not a heavy abuser of my phone. <clears throat> my phones generally take, uh, or take good care of them. Not that you don't. <laughs> and uh, and not that some people don't, although you see people, fl- God, I was just at uh, BrickCon, this giant uh, Lego themed conference or convention rather in Seattle. It's the big, uh, the big one. And I saw twice people take out their phones to take pictures and they... I don't know what they did. They hit a post and the phone flew out of their hand, hit the floor and slid forward to the table. It was like a magic trick. Twice I saw this in different places. Both times, Android phones. Apple phones won't do that to you, you know. iPhones won't jump out <laughs> of your a feature. Hand. That's right. But, um, and, they didn't, and the screens didn't break because now everybody's using stronger glass. But for me, every time, this is a great, we'll talk about this more Have with Dan. Have you heard about but, how the new water <clears throat> phones are like waterproof, like secretly waterproof? Well, are water resistant. And they, like we have to, every time you say that, you have to say, we talked about this Jason Stahl too, you have to say, don't try it. It's water, it, they seem to be more water resistant. I like how they just didn't even mention it. They're What's like, that? secret surprise, well, because, water resistant membrane. You know, they like, got sued what? once for saying some Mac could support one terabyte of RAM. I don't know, something, you and know. And they say that the Apple Watch, like, you know, shouldn't be submerged and people are wearing it swimming with, like, no ill effects. So, yeah, I like how they're kind of under-promising, over-delivering there. But, like, yeah. Well, yeah, because once I've... they promise, people start messing with it and then suddenly they're liable for right. it. So, yes. But it's nice you to know. I mean, I like the fact that ca- like a casual wetness for a phone, iPhone should now not cause total destruction, mm-hmm. which saves them money if they're selling, see if they're selling more Apple Care Plus plans. If I that's actually phones working. multiple times and one time it broke, the other two times it did not break. Like it just, it was fine. So now like, I'm not going to do it on purpose clearly because you know, this phone was really expensive, but um, yeah, that's really nice how right. they're, they are making them more durable. Wait, so hold on. Wait, with the Apple Care Plus. So I have had, I always buy Apple Care for my laptops, not for my desktops. I have always, every time in years two or three, had some problem that would have cost several hundred dollars. The one time I didn't buy Apple Care for a laptop, I had to pay, I wound up getting off easy. I had to pay $300, which was more than Apple Care, to get a, re, a, a massive repair, like all in one thing, which is a secret, by the way. I had an Apple, I had a MacBook Air go essentially bad. And they said, this will cost $800 to repair in store, or we can send it away to the depot and it costs $300. And I'm like, but that's better, right? They're like, yes. And we'll fix everything for $300 guaranteed. I'm like, why wouldn't I do that? They said, we don't know, but we like to give people the option that we can repair it immediately in store. Um, anyway, so Apple Care Plus, I have almost universally, I've paid the fee for it because as soon as they started offering it, and I often have a phone for two years, or my wife has it in the second or third year, <clears throat> and in year two, I've had the home button replaced, I've had the power button, the cameras had dust in it, all these things that might, some cases they, or some cases they might have considered it a manufacturing defect. The camera dust one, they said we might have covered that without Apple Care Plus, but because you have Apple Care Plus, we don't even have to go into that. So I've had three times I've been replaced in between months thirteen and twenty-four, and uh, we know would have had to spend. And these aren't screen. These aren't. Um, uh, broken screens. These are things where they have to take it apart and either put a new digitizer in or do other stuff, you know. And even though some of those repairs are as little as ninety to hundred bucks, if you find somebody uh, qualified in your area, it's still, you know, it wouldn't be guaranteed. It might have been hundreds of dollars. So I've, I've I might ahead. be more liable to buy it for a laptop than for a phone because, like, the phone. It's not like a disposable, but it feels more like you're you're only going to use it so long. But the laptop, you really want to get like 
everything you can out of well, the especially laptop. years two and you get two and three, uh, three or years two and three are when a lot of stuff goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll talk more about that with Dan because I'm sure he has yes. opinions about about He's that as well. But so, insight. so in the end, what I'm going to do is I'm actually right now I'm I'm hovering on the uh, Apple Store reservations because I haven't sold. I had oh oh separate issue. We got to talk about this. <laughs> <clears throat> we're going to run out of time. This we're gonna, we're going to we've got a few topics. We'll uh, we'll bump to next week here because. Uh, we got to talk more about this LTE bands and the new phones and the old phones. I have a, a friend who's written me about this and I've got a query into Apple and I haven't heard yet. It is very confusing which phones are going to work on which networks. And what it looks like is if you buy the AT&T model of phone, even though it's unlocked and you can use it on CDMA networks and you can use it internationally. This is true also with the iPhone six that really specific LTE support. So you can have an iPhone you can use anywhere in the world, but it might not work at LTE speeds almost anywhere in the world. And um, that that's complicated. So you you buy the AT and T model, and you go to Verizon, and you don't get Verizon LTE. LTE. If you buy the Verizon LTE model, I believe it will work on some AT and T bands, but not all of them. So uh, that's actually an issue. So I have this iPhone six AT and T model. A friend in the UK was interested in buying it. We looked it up, and she's like, you know, I'll never be able to use this in LTE in the UK. So we're not going to do it because I don't want to give her a phone she can't use, um, you know, ever <laughs> at LTE speeds. <laughs> never going to happen. Uh, yeah, that so, would be good. so I'm going to, but, uh, once I sell the phone, so I'm hovering right now because you have to reserve in store. Um, this is maddening at this stage. I had interesting discussions on Twitter with people about this because I want to buy in store and it means every morning I have to get up and at 8am they unlock <laughs> whatever they've got and <laughs> online, you go online and you go through the options as if you're going to buy it online. Then you click reserve in store and it says, Hey, uh, pick your store. No, we don't have it. Right. Um, oh. or sometimes they have models like a week ago, they actually had the model I wanted. I wasn't ready to buy. I was just looking into it. Now, uh, the stock changes throughout the day. I had many people tell me, no, no, they get stock in the morning and that's all they have for the day. And I'm like, no, I go back multiple times a day out of curiosity and the same store will have different stock at different times during the day. Um, often less as the day goes on, but in some cases they have much more like one store near me. That's literally a mile away had, um, you know, a couple models available on AT&T later in the day. It had, you know, a bunch of them, but I couldn't get there that day. And the next day they're all gone. So, um, Apple doesn't let you, if you're going to reserve, you could, I could order the phone I wanted and it would be delivered in like two weeks, roughly. Right. If I, I can't order the phone I want and have it delivered to an Apple store to do the iPhone upgrade plan, which must be done in store in the U S only. So there's a gap there. Wow. Because if I could just yeah, say, yeah, it's so confusing yeah. now. I feel like Siri should be able to help you there. Well, but <laughs> they don't want you, like, the thing is, they Siri, don't want let you, me know when like the store gets the phone I want. The per, yeah, exactly. They should just. I mean, I should have an alert that would be like, okay, it's available yeah. and hit here let if you want to. If you want to pick this there. up at three p.m., then boom, you're done. And otherwise, we're going to give it to somebody else. And maybe they will do that eventually. But the fact is, because you have to do the transaction as you did in store, and you have to do a credit agreement. You can't pre-order it online because then you'd be paying them money or not paying them money. Then they'd ship a phone and you wouldn't come and get it. So I sort of understand why they're doing this. And also I have no urgency. I'm not, I don't need the phone today. Right. So Mm -hmm. I will just wait and eventually the supply will increase slightly. And in a week or two, I'll be able to get it and then uh, sell the phone. But AT&T, so here's the fun part. This is what I'll write about a little bit. I'm like, all right, I'm going to buy the phone out. So I'm ready to ship it off to my friend who now can't buy it, but I'll find somebody else. (laughs) 
uh, I will find someone to purchase this phone. Don't worry. Uh, so I go to AT&T and they're like, hey, here's, you know, here's what you owe. Hit this button. Boom. You've bought the phone. It's yours now. And I'm like, all right, now I want to unlock it. So I go to their unlock site and it says, hey, you can't unlock it. You still owe money. I'm like, oh, so their system had to update. I waited a few hours, went back, and then I started the unlock process. And I haven't gotten the confirmation yet, uh, but then I'll have an unlocked fully purchased iPhone that I can take. I mean, I do right now have it. I just don't have the, uh, the final unlock stage has not been completed. Uh, but then I can sell it to anybody who has AT&T and life will go on. But it's funny that I feel like I'm being incentivized to buy a new phone. Yep. Like, like it's cheaper for me to get a 6S than to keep the 6. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that's why I wanted it. I, sh- I realized I should have just bought it. I should just buy all my phones because it, especially with iPhones, they're so easy to get rid of if you want if you know if you only want to keep it a year like you could do these upgrade lease programs but then you either have to go in and and sign a new lease and like you know return your old phone or yeah you have to you have to keep it for 2 years and then you own it or you have to if you want the new one you have to give back your old one and i've always right. like handed them down like my mom my husband got my old 6 my mom got my husband's 5c she was on the iphone 4 before so that was a huge upgrade for her so it's like i get upgraded everybody gets upgraded and this lease is going to mess that up and so i yeah well, no, i, get, I feel like once you start just buying unlocked phones at full price like you realize it's better and you never go back well yeah you can just but you can buy this out when you're ready to do it you buy it out you still have the apple care plus but you know next time you can just do a straight installment you don't have to do the apple you won't do the apple lease if you don't want the apple care plus but i don't know i think the thing that's interesting is i'm you know i say this i'm actually coming out ahead of course i'm not cuz i've already put $400 into paying off this phone and I don't recover that. I only recover the residual amount. So I come out as if I've paid, you know, I've, um, uh, cause I've already paid AT&T like 400 bucks and, uh, it's still worth about, oh no, wait, no, I'm doing the math wrong, right? It's, <laughs> I did that reverse. I've paid AT&T about 400 bucks, but then I paid them the other, uh, you know, monthly installments. Then I paid them $337 and in the end I will wind up getting about 400 bucks back from that. So I'll have paid, it'll reduce retroactively what I've paid for it monthly in the first year plus. But I expect that paying almost $40 a month for a phone indefinitely is what I'm going to wind up doing because phones don't often last that much past two years. Sometimes they last three or four uh, and then there's features you want and so forth. So I actually think a cost of ownership for me, 40 bucks a month to have a current phone is fine. And if I wind up keeping one or my wife is able to use one, I mean, she's got a five, uh, what does she have? The iPhone five. I don't think she has a five S. She has the five, which is now three years old, and one of the buttons that's a nice is nice fa- phone though. Yeah, and one of the buttons has failed. So when yeah, she upgrades, she doesn't want a bigger phone. She'll probably get a five S, which is the least expensive phone you can get. Uh, but we'll have gotten three years out of that one. So yeah, well, we'll talk again. We'll talk more about installment plans and uh, which ones those are the best, and whether insurance is a terrible, terrible deal as you think it is, and I'm sure it is. Insurance is a terrible deal. <laughs> Uh, but I think that's enough for this week. I believe we've covered it and Susie's still recovering from uh, jet lag and uh, job lag getting back to the job. <laughs> it's nice to be back. It was a nice vacation, but you know, you go places, you're gone a long time. You're like, I, it would be nice to go home now. My three-year-old yesterday was like, uh, or two days ago, I don't even remember when, was like, mommy, I want to go home. And I was like, can I tell you a secret? I want to go home too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was time. great though. We got uh, to see so many friends and family. The question great. I always have is how many beds for how many nights? Because my wife and I, before we had kids, we once did this trip for a wedding and I called it the uh, 
uh, eight nights, seven beds trip. It was horrible. Every night, a new bed. And you have to get used mm-hmm. to a new bed. So how many how many beds over your trip is the question? We It was 11 nights. It was three nights in a hotel, three nights in an Airbnb, and then five nights with our friends. And oh, so the three nights bad. in an Airbnb, we could have been at my aunt's house. And everyone thought it was kind of strange that you know it was my first trip like out to where my family lives out east that I didn't stay with family. And I kind of used like, oh, I have my husband and son here as an excuse. But it was really just that like I can't be a house guest for that long. Like I can't live in someone else's house for eight days in a row. So so we we, we opted to be house guests in Brooklyn and Airbnb tenants in New Jersey. <laughs> and I think that was the right call. And I hope I didn't hurt anyone's feelings. I don't think I did. But it was it was a long trip. Like we, I, I'm a long weekender. Like I go somewhere for like three days and come right back. So that was a long trip. Well, as long as they don't listen to this podcast, you're okay. Yeah. Yeah, everybody did really well. I mean, the site went on without me. I guess, you know, they don't really need me that much. So good job. It's good. We did okay without you. I think, I think everyone survived, but everyone's happy to have there you back. There was a lot going on. I felt like a jerk being away for all that This is action, why you got to schedule in advance. That's why you schedule these vacations in advance. It's other people's and then weddings. Like, I'm not in control. Team, you know, the team picked up. The team was here. That's why you train people. Yep. Everyone was ready. It's a good team. Well-oiled so thing. So proud. We uh. had record uh, traffic in September. So thank you to everyone for reading Macworld. Thank you, listeners, for thank you, listeners, for reading. Thank you, readers, for listening. There you go. That's ways. And thank you, Susie, for being back. And thank back. you, Glenn, and, for being uh, so very Glenn. Being as well, I, I try. I, I I try to be as Glenn as I can be every day. That's what I wake You're up. You're great at it. Well, uh, well, I have been as always. This is this has been Susie Oaks, and I have been and remain Glenn Fleischman, the senior contributor to Mac World. And this has been episode 477 of the Mac World podcast for October seventh. 2015 we were brought to you this week by red hat and i thank you dear listeners write us at podcast at macworld.com or find us at macworld.com and leave your comments so we know what you're interested in we'll be back next week and thank you for listening